Hi everyone, I'm Debbie Roberts from Property Apprentice. Join me today for the Week in Review where I'll talk about current events for the everyday investor and home buyer. Topics for this week, first of all, from good returns on the 3rd of October, empty homeowners not willing to become landlords. Second topic from the Reserve Bank of New Zealand on the 5th of October, continued monetary tightening. Third topic from One Roof on the 4th of October, revealed auction twist you would never have guessed in a cooling market. Fourth up on the list is from RNZ on the 3rd of October, house asking prices dropping 10000 per month on average report. Fifth topic is from Stuff on the 4th of October, here's why you're probably in the top 10% wealthiest in the world. So we'll kick off this week in review by having a look at the Good Returns article from the 3rd of October, Empty Homeowners Not Willing to Become Landlords. The government has scrapped its plan to fill so-called ghost homes after it paid for a $500,000 trial to find out that um, they need to scrap the plan. How do I start with that? The trial revolved around eight empty Hamilton houses, of which five were returned to the rental market. The trial also focused on the scheme created by the government, which made working with owners too difficult. Wise Group's investigation into the number of ghost homes, why they were empty and how long they'd been vacant, threw up some interesting owner and landlord views. The 2018 census showed that there were nearly 95,000 empty houses across the country, which is an average of 5.1% of the total housing supply. However, this data was inaccurate. Of the 39,795 Auckland properties that were unoccupied on census night, 22,407 of those were because the residents were away and 17,358 were empty. The number of empty homes amounted to 3.2% of total dwellings compared to 5.2% for the rest of the country. About 35% of the 17,130 empty Auckland homes were used as holiday homes, 8% as second homes and 23% were vacant because they were being renovated. 17% were empty rentals because a number of them did not meet the healthy home standards while 6% were empty for other reasons, which could imply that they were going to be sold or potentially developed. Most homes were empty for less than six months. Other areas with high numbers of empty homes are Christchurch, Queenstown Lakes and Coromandel. I suspect a number of the ones in Queenstown Lakes and Coromandel were also holiday homes, but we don't have the data to, you know, to support that assumption. Wise Group's survey of 772 owners suggested that 10% kept their properties empty intentionally. The majority had empty houses that were 30 years and older. The survey showed that most empty homeowners are not willing to become landlords. Around 22.6% of the respondents refused to even answer that question. Landlords who responded to the survey said that they feel vilified and targeted by recent government regulatory and tax changes. They point to negative attitudes towards landlords as a barrier to renting houses. Tenants and the public are often unaware of the increasing costs and realities of being a landlord. One empty house owner suggested that more houses need to be built to address the supply and demand problem. Demonising landlords and discouraging property investment is not going to work. Another owner added that the government narrative is making it easy for people to abuse a landlord's goodwill. 
According to the owner, there's no protection or incentive for them to rent out their house. A third house owner is not renting out three properties at the moment, as the government's very unpredictable and unsure of what changes it will throw at rental providers next. There are landlords who feel insecure about losing control over their properties and not wanting to risk renting to a wrong tenant who might ruin their house and who can be difficult to remove because of the removal of the 90-day notice. Other concerns include past negative experience with tenants, potential changes being made to the property, selecting the right tenants and perceived imbalance of rights between tenants and landlords, negative experience with tenancy services, property managers and managing the property themselves. The cost and ability to meet healthy home standards have also constantly appeared in the comments. Empty homeowners are doubting the financial viability of being a landlord and want trustworthy tenants, which many believe is hard to achieve because of the consequences related to the changes in the Residential Tenancies Act. Survey respondents anticipate fewer homes for rent in the market and more homes sitting empty, although the report noted that rising interest rates and higher costs will pressure some investors to put their properties up for rent obviously not the ones that are mortgage-free on their rental properties, but generally speaking, the majority of people who own rental properties do have mortgages that they need to pay. So, you know, the chance of everyday mum and dad investors being able to afford to leave a house vacant just because is um, pretty remote. Despite the government's unwillingness to go ahead with an empty homes plan, Wise Group says it will support other organisations through an empty homes starter kit which was produced as part of the project and is freely available online. The study also looked at countries that use taxation as a means to motivate owners to put the empty and underutilised properties onto the rental market. In Canada, for example, the tax rate based on the assessed value of the home that's not rented out for at least six months of the year is 3%. In the UK, councils may charge additional tax up to double the normal rate if the home has been empty for two years or more, although there are many exceptions. So, I mean, seriously, where do I even start adding my comments on this one? First of all, I think it's a horrific waste of taxpayer money to spend $500,000 on a trial and investigation on something that's not actually a significant issue. We've got plenty of other more important things to spend taxpayer money on, uh, you know, like health, Education, but anyway, I didn't want this to turn into a political discussion, so I'm not going to make too many extra comments around that, other than I suspect potentially this is the early indication that the government is looking for another reason to target landlords for the reason that we've got a shortage of rental properties in this country. You know, years ago, I made a comment on television, on, on the AM show, about how, you know, I suspected with some of the changes that the government was implementing that it would create a rental crisis that was worse than the housing crisis. And unfortunately, that certainly appears to be the case at the moment. So I made a comment about how the government should be careful what they wish for. 87% of tenants in New Zealand rent from private landlords and trusts. So, you know, the government needs private investors And tenants who are looking for places to rent need private investors to provide these houses because the government can't afford to supply all of them themselves. 
you know so yeah that's my opinion anyway so be careful who you vote for doesn't matter which government is in power property investing still works but just choose your vote carefully Second topic for this week in review, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand on the 5th of October continued monetary tightening. The Monetary Policy Committee has increased the official cash rate by 50 basis points from 3%. It now sits at 3.5%. The committee found it appropriate to continue tightening monetary conditions to maintain price stability and to contribute to maximum sustainable employment. Consumer price inflation remains high while scarcity in labour resources continues to be an issue. In the global economy, consumer demand for goods and services exceeds supply capacity, which pushes prices higher. Food and energy prices are particularly affected by the war in the Ukraine. In some countries, inflation measures have been falling due to recent declines in oil prices and the easing of some supply chain constraints. However, core inflation measures have risen, causing central banks to tighten monetary conditions. This implies a weaker outlook for New Zealand's trading partners. Domestic spending in New Zealand remains resilient, employment levels are high and household balance sheets remain stable despite falling house prices. The country's productive capacity is being hampered by labour shortages and wage pressures. Overall, spending continues to outstrip our capacity to supply goods and services. Policy committee members agreed that further tightening is in sight until inflation is brought back within its 1-3% per annum target range. The next OCR announcement is due in November, so at this stage I fully expect to see another 0.5% increase. We are expecting to get the latest quarter update on inflation rates, so you know, if we get a dramatic surprise on the upside for that, then uh, that might reduce the next increase to 0.25%, but at this stage it seems unlikely. If you want to learn more about the housing market and how you can get into the property market as an investor or a home buyer, please join me at one of our Beginner's Guide to Property Investment events. We run them for free, available online or in person. Check out propertyapprentice.co.nz for upcoming dates and register today. If you'd like to find out more about how Property Apprentice can help you to reach your financial goals, you can also book a no-obligation phone call or meeting with my husband, Paul Roberts, via the website as well. Third topic for this week in review, One Roof on the 4th of October revealed auction twist you would never have guessed in a cooling market. At the moment, the success rate for auctions is 61% in South Auckland, compared to 21% for other methods of sales. Now, that's quite unique in a, in a slower property market, so that, that figure is quite surprising. One of New Zealand's leading auctioneers is encouraging homeowners to focus on the auction process rather than the result on the day, as he believes an auction is still the most effective way to sell a house, even in a slow market. Ray White lead auctioneer Sam Steele says that a common perception is that auctions only work in a hot market, but data in many areas and regions show that an auction can be even more effective in a softening market. As New Zealand's property market conditions return to pre-COVID levels, auctions can significantly improve a vendor's chance of selling while decreasing a property's days on the market. Nationally, almost half of the houses listed by auction at Ray White in the last 30 days were sold during what's considered a 90-day auction campaign, and 45% actually sold on auction day. 
The results at Ray White AT Realty in South Auckland are even more significant. They have a 61% auction success rate compared with the 21% success rate where properties were sold by any other sale method, including listed price, price by negotiation, or deadline sale in the same three-month period. Steele said those listing by auction in South Auckland are almost tripling the vendor's chances of selling and also getting the house sold within an average 28 days compared to the other methods which are taking an average of 57 days. Ray White Metro in Christchurch is also reporting good results. It's seeing 77% of houses selling through the auction process compared with 44% through other methods. And even if the property doesn't sell at auction, Steele says this could still be counted as selling through the auction process within 90 days of being listed, and this could be due to a conditional buyer after auction day. However, auctions are not as common in Dunedin or Wellington, where there are other preferred methods such as tenders. Steele said auctions work for all kinds of properties. He adds that it's just down to the individual owner's personal situation. The only additional cost for those selling at auction is the auctioneer's fee, which in Auckland ranges from a few hundred dollars to $800. Harcourt's Hawke's Bay General Manager James Cooper also stands by auctions as a great way to sell a house and has recently seen an increase of sellers wanting to use them. Auctions are seen as a transparent process and it's the only method that gives buyers the chance to see who they're competing against. On the other hand, Price by negotiation has no set deadlines, so there's no motivation for buyers to put their best foot forward. Cooper said people often forget auctions are a three-stage process and not just about the auction day. The first stage is the marketing leading up to the auction, second stage is the auction itself, and if it doesn't sell, then the third stage is talking to the conditional buyers. Mortgage manager's mortgage advisor Stuart Wills says he personally wouldn't be selling his house by auction at the moment because it ruled out too many buyers. Wills explained that first-time buyers will usually need an independent valuation to secure a loan. Going to an auction would mean spending anywhere between $800 to $1,200 on one for a house they might not end up buying. He added that even people looking to trade up houses might shy away from buying at auctions because they didn't want to buy a new house unless they knew they could sell their current house first, so they needed a conditional sale. Cooper advises his clients to look at all the other selling options and not just auctions. He believes that price by negotiation is an attractive option as there are currently more buyers who want to put an offer on a house subject to selling their place or subject to getting their finance approved. You know, and something else that none of them, as far as I'm aware, none of them mentioned is, you know, the cost of doing all of your correct due diligence before you bid at an auction as well. It's not quite as much of a concern in today's market where there's potentially less bidders at an auction. But, you know, if you were competing with a bunch of other buyers, then that can be quite an expensive process. You've got to pay for a building inspection, uh, registered valuation in many situations, you know, all, all of your normal due diligence. If you want to do a drug test to make sure it wasn't used as a meth house or something like that, that's it's quite a cost involved. And then if someone else has got deeper pockets or prepared to pay a higher price than you, then that's money spent on a property that you don't end up being able to purchase. So pros and cons on both sides. And in some areas, auctions are still not a very successful way of selling properties in today's market. So talk to your real estate agent and make an informed decision moving forward.
Fourth topic for this week in review from RNZ on the 3rd of October, house asking prices are dropping 10000 per month on average, says a report. Figures from realestate.co.nz show that the average asking price has fallen by 7.2% since January, when the average hit a record high above $1 million. Spokesperson Vanessa Williams said that asking prices have decreased by about $10,000 a month across the country to $921,187 in September. However, Southland bucked the trend as it hit a 15-year high of just over $542,000 last month. She explained that less housing stock led to the increase. Southland only had 346 homes available, and although it saw an increase by 35% on last year, it isn't double the amount of homes like we're seeing in other regions. Stock levels were up year on year in all regions last month, with 10 regions seeing stock more than double and another four regions increasing by more than 85%. Last month, 7,881 homes were listed on the realestate.co.nz website, which is a 12% increase on September 2021. Williams isn't surprised. She explains that most of the country was still in lockdown through August and into September last year, which hindered the ability for people to pop up on listings. Nationally, listings are still down on pre-pandemic levels, with more than a 1,000 more homes for sale in September 2019 than last month. She adds that the market cooling may signal a return back to the pre-pandemic state. Even if the national price continues to drop until Christmas, we'll still be at the same level as midway through last year when the record national price was just under $900,000. At present, the most affordable region in the country is the West Coast, which has an average asking price of around $431,000. Even with interest rates rising further, Williams believes that New Zealanders' passion for property wouldn't change. Interest rates have been so low for so long that a period of normalisation is bound to happen. So one additional comment that I'd like to make on this is that average asking prices are what's been talked about here. So when statistics show that an average asking price has decreased by $10,000 a month across the country, it could just mean that it's the lower value properties that are selling more. Higher value properties might not be selling to the same extent. So averages can be quite easily skewed. So just to remember that. Fifth topic for this week from Stuff on the 4th of October, here's why you're probably in the top 10% wealthiest in the world. If you own a mortgage-free home in a nice Auckland suburb, you might be part of the top 1% wealthiest in the world. Credit Suisse recently released its data showing that New Zealanders had the fastest increase in mean wealth per adult in the world between 2020 and 2021. Rapidly increasing house prices combined with a strong currency are boosting New Zealanders up the world rankings. As of 2021, there are 347,000 US dollar millionaires in New Zealand. That's an increase of 113,000 from 2020. New Zealand's growth in millionaires was among the top 10 biggest increases in the world in 2021. The country has 2.126 million people in the top 10% of wealthy individuals in the world and 281,000 in the top 1%. Globally, the top 1% wealthiest has amassed 45.6% of the world's wealth. To be in the wealthiest 10% globally, 
you need to have an individual net wealth of just US dollars, 138,346. For the top 1%, the minimum you need is to have at least US dollars, $1.147 million. Net wealth is calculated by subtracting debt from the value of a person's assets. Kiwi Bank Chief Economist Jared Kerr explains that apart from an increase in the value of houses, many people have invested in managed funds. Strong government and central bank stimulus has pushed up share markets around the world, including in New Zealand. Although New Zealanders don't necessarily feel wealthy, New Zealand has an advanced economy compared to most countries around the world. Despite house prices falling and share market volatility, Kerr believes this has not completely wiped out the gains experienced by many in New Zealand. Statistics New Zealand data put New Zealanders' household median net worth at 397,000 New Zealand dollars in the middle of last year, which is up 21% from 2018. The agency states that the top 20% of New Zealand's households held 69% of the country's net worth. Owner-occupied houses and other real estate investments made up 43% of those assets. Individual net worth typically increased as someone gets older. Europeans had the highest individual median net worth at $151,000 compared to $42,000 for Maori. ANZ senior economist Miles Workman said that Stats New Zealand data might not yet cover the full extent of the COVID-19 house price surge. It may also be worth exploring questions about the future of tax policy, as the ageing population will eventually increase the demand for government services. The government will need to increase its funding or find ways to reduce government spending elsewhere, like lifting the retirement age. Workman believes that voters will find wealth tax more appealing over higher income tax as more wealth concentration will occur. He said that the top 1% of income earners from salary and wages are possibly a very different bunch to the top 1% in wealth terms, and that could become a more important consideration as policymakers and the public evaluate the fairness of the tax system. So if I could add my top two cents worth into this conversation, I would suggest that having a mortgage-free home is something that's certainly going to make retirement a lot more comfortable. It's not going to make you wealthy necessarily. And same with owning rental properties. You know, a lot of property owners in New Zealand certainly don't feel wealthy, even though on paper they're looking pretty comfortable compared to the rest of the world. Now, something I would also like to comment on is that it should be each of your individual goals to form yourself, you know, get yourself into a position where you can fund your own retirement rather than relying on the government to make that work. Whether we're taxed in one way or another, it makes no difference. Like, let's face it, you pay tax on the income that you earn now. So I would much rather be taxed on rental income for my retirement than have to be relying on government superannuation to be able to fund life in retirement you know so yeah control your own choices and then it it doesn't matter what government's in power and what changes they make to the system okay so yeah something else that I'd like to comment on is the fact that you know historically it's always been a very small percent of the population that holds the majority of the wealth it doesn't mean that that top percent 
has taken money from the people that are less fortunate than they are, that's not how the money system works, you know. So just because you can increase your own financial position doesn't mean that someone else has to suffer in the process of you doing that. And so food for thought potentially. So thank you very much for those of you that have listened to today's podcast. We'd love to help you achieve some of your financial goals for the future. So feel free to join me at one of our live events. You can register for those at propertyapprentice.co.nz. We hold them just about every week. And we hold those either online or live in our office in Ellerslie in Auckland. So we'll look forward to seeing you soon. And if you want to find out more about how Property Apprentice can help you, I explain that during those free sessions as well. But you can also book a a no obligation chat with my husband, Paul, via the website too. So we'll look forward to hearing from you and helping you on your journey to making yourself a bit more financially comfortable in retirement. Thanks for listening.